This podcast is sponsored by Bethany House Publishers. Order Carved in Ebony through Baker Bookhouse and save 30% off plus free shipping. Visit bakerbookhouse.com to purchase. Hi guys, welcome to episode one of the Carved in Ebony podcast where we give you bite-sized lessons about 10 incredible women from Carved in Ebony. Carved in Ebony is a book by me, Jasmine Holmes, <laughs> and I am here with my friend, Abina Ansa Wright. In so many ways, my teacher as well. My, uh, it's reciprocal. My, um, my everything. Um, <laughs> my <laughs> reel it in, reel it in. <laughs> But we are here together to talk about the 10 women who I write about in this book and Mm -hmm. who Abina has also come across in her very unique area of research. Yeah. So who do we have this week? Yeah. Well, okay. not this week, this episode. <laughs> this episode. I know. I don't, I don't know how they're going to be divided yet. I have no idea. <laughs> we have Elizabeth Freeman. Okay. Tell us a bit about Elizabeth Freeman. Well, she started out her life as Mom Bet or just Betty, Bet, Elizabeth. And she was an enslaved woman in Massachusetts right around the Revolutionary War. And the cool thing about Mom Bet, she was the first woman in Massachusetts to sue for her freedom. I always say she was the first person, but like Quack Walker was kind of around the same time. And so there's some, okay, like maybe she, but she was the first woman yeah, for sure. And she sued for her freedom based on some verbiage that she overheard in something called the Sheffield Declaration. So mm-hmm. her owner, her master, had a meeting at his house with a bunch of other men in town to talk about the Sheffield Declaration, which was basically a declaration from this little town in Massachusetts about rights and freedoms. And the wording was really similar to the Declaration of Independence in that, you know, all men were created equal and endowed with rights by their creator. Mm-hmm. And the story goes that Elizabeth overheard this wording and was like, that sounds like it should apply to me too. Mm-hmm. So she took one of the men from the meeting aside later on that week and was like, hey, I I think I want to sue for my freedom. Like I just mm-hmm. really do. And this dude was like, okay, let's do it. His name was Thomas Sedgwick. And so Sedgwick helped her sue for her freedom and homegirl won. That's the Woo-hoo. cool part. That's awesome. Um, it's it's so awesome. And her winning, um, as well as this man named Quack Walker, who also f- sued for his freedom, ended up having a domino effect where within five years of both of them winning their freedom, Massachusetts was no longer a slave state. Look at God. <laughs> I know, it's so cool. That's amazing. So what made you pick Elizabeth Freeman? Elizabeth Freeman is interesting because she's she is way older than my other women. So mm. the other nine women are all around like really tightly in that antebellum, postbellum, like 50 year period. They all were alive. Sure. Like maybe their lives, you know, maybe like Mamie Helen Burroughs died in 1961. Right. So she's mm-hmm. obviously way younger than the rest of them. But from the top to the bottom, they were either born into slavery or they were the children of enslaved people or they had, you know, they they had some commonality there. Whereas yeah. Elizabeth Freeman was like way before all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went back and forth about choosing her just because I love continuity. And I was like, Elizabeth doesn't really fit into the same exact time period. But I I the theme kept emerging as I wrote 
um, and as I researched these women, was advocacy. And yeah. Elizabeth Freeman's self-advocacy was just something that I had to talk about because this woman never even learned how to read mm-hmm. and was still able to get the help she needed to sue for her freedom and eventually buy her own home and and grow old near her grandchildren and just have a have a beautiful life. And so I just wanted to kind of share her as kind of the mother of self-advocacy. Oh, I love that. I love that. Can I nut out for a second Please and just share out. a little bit of the yes. historical context of yes. Mumbet or Elizabeth Freeman? So one thing that really stuck out to me that you said was about her overhearing the Sheffield Declaration and hearing the language of rights and freedom. That So to contextualize it for the exact moment, we're talking the Revolutionary War era. Mm-hmm. era sorry, this is happening. And is that like okay for you to talk about? Do you get triggered because you're because you're English? I'm first generation, so I'm not massively tied. But thank you. People apologize to me on I'm just Fourth of July. Like, but (laughs) 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 I got proposed to on Fourth of July, so I can get over it now. Oh, never mind then. Apology rescinded. But it really reminded me of um, a famous quote by Samuel Johnson, who was an early statesman in revolutionary era America. And he said, how is it that we hear the loudest yelps for liberty among the drivers of Negroes? Simply, how is it that we hear the loudest cries for freedom from the slavers of Blacks? He who makes a beast of himself gets rid of the pain of being a man. That's so the manners in the face. And what he's really saying here is how are we going to be having all this talk about equality and rights and stuff from the very same people who have established chattel slavery in this country? Yep. And one thing, so we talk about this a lot in early America studies, this question of where are these ideas of rights coming from? A lot of people really link it to, you know, the French Revolution is happening around a similar time. Mm. The discussions of the Enlightenment and natural rights are a global conversation. So that's one area that it's coming from. But to kind of tie in what Samuel Johnson is saying, I think it's really important for us to remember that throughout the colonial era, by the time we get to 1776, There have been countless rebellions on plantations or what historians are now calling slave labor camps throughout the colonies. It's not that these ideas of freedom were just being circulated amongst these elite kind of um, philosophers. The enslaved themselves were trying where possible to take up arms to protect themselves Mm -hmm. or to pursue freedom suits like Mumbet did. So two major examples as early as 1675 through 1676, Bacon's Rebellion is probably the most well-known uprising. And that was an uprising that was a partnership between white indentured laborers, mostly Irish and enslaved Blacks. That was really, everybody should look that up because it's one of the turning moments in the nature of enslavement in the U.S. used to kind of divide Black enslaved people from indentured white servants. Mm -hmm. So that's one major one that was quashed. It took a year for them to quash it. And then almost 50, 60 years later in 
1739, we had the Stono Rebellion, which was huge. I think it was 20 enslaved men raided a kind of like warehouse and they essentially went through, this is in South Carolina, went through the town, executing their white slave owners, burning things to the ground. The whole thing lasted a week. It's a crucial moment for us to really kind of understand enslavement has had existed for a long time by that point. Firstly, it's not new. And the enslaved were trying to get freedom in many ways, from freedom right. suits to these violent rebellions. You know, we have conversations now about what is the right way to protest. We're going back to the, the 18th and 17th centuries in that discussion because we have this vast you know, spectrum of how Black people were trying to get freedom. But the main thing that I really hope people understand while they contextualize your chapter is this isn't just a conversation that's happening amongst white people who are thinking about the ideals of being a human. What is right. it to have human rights? Right. These are... I. I would argue, this is my personal argument, I've argued with many a professor about this, um, is I would argue that they are actually, the white elites are even learning the language of resistance from the enslaved that are around them. Mm. The cries for freedom, the way, even if you just read some of Thomas Jefferson's words during the revolutionary era, a lot of them sound like the cries of those who We'll hear in um, the court records of trials that were done after these after these slave rebellions and such like. And so I would argue that, yes, they were learning from the philosophers of Europe, but they're also taking the language from the enslaved, not the other way around, yeah. is what I would argue. People who are just... I, I don't really get into it in, in a Freeman's chapter. I talk more about it in Fearing's chapter, but mm. they're... I don't think that a lot of us understand the depth of cruelty yeah, um, and the stripping of rights that occurred for mm -hmm. enslaved people. I think that we've been fooled by rosy pictures of people who are, you know, overall yeah. happy, like overall satisfied, overall mm -hmm. and um, uh, talking about Elizabeth Freeman, talking about Bacon's Rebellion, talking about the Stone Rebellion. Like we, we get a different picture of people who are willing to go through great lengths at great cost to themselves in order to be yeah. free, who would rather die than not be free. Yeah. That's um, the irony of the give me liberty or give me death that it's yeah. being associated yeah. with, you know, um, white political movements. Even back mm -hmm. then when the, when the term was coined, it's funny to me because I'm like, this is also the time and for a hundred years at this point, by the time of the revolution, we have the Middle Passage and yeah. enslaved Africans throwing themselves overboard rather than being enslaved. Give yes. me liberty or give me death was very literal. Well, and like who said that? It's Patrick Henry and and good old Patrick mm -hmm. <laughs> was like, he basically, he said, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. I get it. Like slavery's wrong. <laughs> I get it. But it's just, it's, it's really convenient. Exactly. It works. It works for me. I can't imagine not having slavery because it just works really well for me. And I actually, in um, one of the append, uh, what do you say? You're, you're the English person, you know, appendices. I say appendices, but somebody said appendices the other day. Appendices does not sound like, it. that sounds like the thing that you get out with surgery. Okay. He said, and this is really long, so I can't read the whole thing, but 
It is not a little surprising that the professors of Christianity, whose chief excellence consists in softening the human heart and in cherishing and improving its finer feelings, should encourage a practice so totally repugnant to the first impressions of right and wrong. Mm. What adds to the wonder is that this abominable practice has been introduced in the most enlightened ages. Times that seem to have pretensions to boast of high improvements in the arts and sciences and refined morality have brought into general use and guarded by many laws a species of violence and tyranny which our most rude and barbarous but more honest ancestors detested. Is it not amazing that at a time when the rights of humanity are defined and understood with precision in a country, above all others, fond of liberty, that in such an age and in such a country we find men professing a religion, the most humane, mild, gentle, generous, adopting a principle as repugnant to humanity as it is inconsistent with the Bible and destructed to liberty? Whoosh. But then at the end, he's like, however culpable my conduct, I will so far pay my devoir to virtue as to my own excellence and rectitude of her precepts and lament my want of conformity to them. Like, sorry, can't be perfect. I just, we're all flawed, so. I just love how he's like, (laughs) he taught, I mean, in very intense terms, he's like, this Mm -hmm. is hypocritical and disgusting. (laughs) But it's like super convenient, man. Sorry. You just gotta keep doing it. (laughs) Um, that's the one thing that I thought of. And then also the second thing that I thought of was, and this little person that you hear in the background is Malcolm James, my youngest baby. And Malcolm is after Malcolm X and James is after James Baldwin. So the voices of a revolution, it's very appropriate that he's sitting in on this episode. Um, but James Baldwin says that basically he says, when a white person says, give me liberty or give me death, it's patriotic. Mm -hmm. But when a black person says it, it's violent. It's scary. Like, it's, you know, we're like, yep. oh, yeah, give me liberty, give me death. Or like, even when William Wallace is like, mm-hmm. freedom and Braveheart, we're like, yes, yes. Yes, please. Disembowel mm-hmm. him rather than put him under the shackles of English tyranny. Absolutely. Yep. But when, a, when, when Nat Turner <laughs> says it, we're like, mm, yep. Mm. And even when John Brown does it. People yes. aren't okay with it. Yep. Which is interesting to me. I'm like, we have a real kind of discomfort with when the rubber hits the road. Yeah. And we're actually trying to make these principles a reality, not trying to change anything, not trying to overthrow anything radically in terms of, you know, throw away the constitution. No, people right. are trying to actually claim the rights that it bestows upon its citizenry and we're really still uncomfortable with that i am wondering just as we wrap up this episode what do you hope people think about while or after reading this chapter i hope that they truly sit with the discomfort of a nation that claims to be one of freedom and fidelity to principles Mm. of freedom encouraging the barbarism of slavery because so many times we just rush we rush past it and you know there's instances in elizabeth's life where she really endured violence at the hands of her enslaver's wife Mm. and the enslaver's wife was never punished you know it's she just had to live her life under that abuse yeah because there was no recourse for her um until she made the recourse herself. And mm-hmm. so just that idea that I, I just really want people to sit with the discomfort of our yeah. of our nation's inconsistency. 
I completely agree with that. I think the only thing I would add is just, I was thinking as you were saying that, like the right, what is right, what is good, what is true, isn't always there. Like it isn't just there, it isn't just a given, you know? Sometimes it has to be thoughtful. Sometimes it has to be pushed for in whether it be court, whether it be in relationships, in whatever area of life. We can't assume that justice is the status quo. That's not true. So that is all we have for you on Elizabeth Freeman. And you should join us next time as we dive into Mariah Stewart. Thanks for joining Jasmine and I as we discuss this. And we hope you enjoy the chapter. Bye. Bye.